This is Climate One, changing the conversation about energy, economy, and the environment. Kids these days are rightfully concerned about how a changing climate will affect their future. So they're taking those concerns onto the streets and into the courts. They are accusing the federal government of violating their constitutional right to life, liberty, and property. You might say young people have a special interest in the long-term effects of climate disruption. People look at climate change and say, oh, this will affect me 20 years from now. They don't feel the changes today, but it really makes it a lot more intimidating, a lot scarier to deal with. So they're not waiting till they're running things to start working for change now. I've made this conscious decision to dedicate, you know, everything to mitigating climate change because to me it's the most important thing that I can do with my time and energy. Youth in the streets and in the courts. Up next on Climate One. Does climate change threaten young people's constitutional right to life, liberty, and property? Welcome to Climate One, changing the conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. I'm Devin Strolovich. Climate One conversations with oil companies and environmentalists, Republicans and Democrats, are recorded before a live audience and hosted by Greg Dalton. Students in many grade and high schools learn the basics of how burning fossil fuels is driving rising temperatures and rising seas. Now some students are taking that knowledge onto the streets and into the courts, asking the federal government to come up with a climate repair plan to cut carbon pollution and stabilize the climate. These young people are not content to wait until they're running companies or other organizations in a decade or two. They're pressing for more action now to protect their future and ours. Joining Greg today are three of these climate leaders, James Coleman is a senior at South San Francisco High School and an action fellow with Alliance for Climate Education, a group that presents climate assemblies in high schools in Boston, Raleigh, North Carolina, Las Vegas, New York City, and the San Francisco Bay Area. Karina McWilliams is a student at South Eugene High School and an active member of Earth Guardians and other environmental organizations in Eugene, Oregon. And Lou Helmuth is deputy director of Our Children's Trust, an organization that is suing the federal government on behalf of 21 young people around the country who claim to have been harmed by climate disruption. Here's Greg talking about, and with, youth in the streets and in the courts. James Coleman, you were inspired by Standing Rock. Tell us how Standing Rock galvanized you and brought you more into environmental advocacy. Uh, there are people in Standing Rock, native people, who are protesting for their right to clean water. And... They were met with rubber bullets, mace, pepper spray, and high-pressure water hoses in freezing temperatures. And these are human rights violations happening right before our eyes in our country. People who just want to have clean water are being jeopardized by having oil pipelines run in their backyards. And it's scary because this doesn't happen anywhere in the country. And what did you do about it? You, you saw it on the news, and then what did you do about it? With the help of ACE, I decided Alliance to... Alliance for Climate Education. Right. We started a supply drive at uh, my school to raise money and any supplies that we could send over to North Dakota and help the water protectors. And then, uh, but you weren't able to go to Standing Rock, would you, if you could? Um, I definitely would, but I don't think my mom would be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, 
Karina McWilliams, you led uh, some efforts on a climate ordinance in your hometown. Tell us about that. So the Climate Recovery Ordinance was passed in Eugene in 2014, and it was basically this law saying that Eugene had to cut its carbon emissions um, in half by 2030. Um, And the issue with the bill was that it lacked um, specific legislation on when city officials had to get um, certain deadlines done and accomplished. So what my club and I did is we went uh, this past year, and we still are going every two weeks, and testified to the city council um, basically telling them why climate change mattered to us and how their uh, action in city government if directly affected our futures. Um, and it ended up getting like some progress done. They passed a 350 carbon budget last June with a unanimous vote, so that was really cool. You're a junior in high school, which means you're, what, 16 or 17, and um, got a lot going on. And every two weeks you're going to boring council hearings <laughs> at the city government? You know, tell us a little more. Why, why, why are you doing that? How did you get into that? Uh, well, I got into it through Professor Mary Christina Wood. Um, my colleagues and I, uh, West Georgieve and Sage Fox at the time, um, now Alda McWayne because Sage graduated, but um, she was like, you guys should go down and testify to, this, to the city council because this bill was passed and like now, you know, there's just a huge lack of action. Um, and at first, I was like really nervous to go down and testify because it's public speaking and it <laughs> wasn't initially my favorite. But um, yeah, th- uh, that's how I got into it. And then uh, the process is you go to the city council meetings, you like write your testimony, maybe it's like a page, and then you go up and read it in front of the city council for about two or three minutes. Um, and then it's over. And it's like, it's quick, but it's super effective because if you keep going every two weeks, then they're either going to like, get tired of your face or, like, <laughs> actually hear what you're trying to tell them. Um, it's effective. Are they ever patronizing towards you? Or Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, How do you handle that? You just got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> James, how about you? How did you get into, before Standing Rock, was there any environmental awareness you know, in, your, in your life, in your family? I was a member of my school's Earth Club since freshman year, uh-huh. And there we participated in events like uh, beach cleanups, uh, school recycling, and hiking trips. Uh-huh. And I eventually applied for vice president in my junior year. And there I organized events to Sucho Stewards, which is a little mini forest in the middle of San Francisco, where we removed the invasive species of ivy and replanted native species to um, help the forest biodiversity. And our Earth Club's advisor um, brought to me this program called ACE, and I applied and got in. Action Fellow of the Alliance for Climate Education. So, Lou Helmuth, let's talk about this suit. Set it up for us. Uh, what's this suit doing? What's it, what's it aimed to do? So I'm the uh, deputy director at Our Children's Trust, and we work with young people around the globe to advance their interest in preserving the atmosphere and natural systems through legal action and public education. So we support young people in bringing lawsuits, including this one that we're going to talk about centrally, which is a lawsuit that was brought by 21 young people in the United States. They're from all over the United States, 
Florida and Colorado and Oregon and New York and uh, all over the U.S. And they sued in 2015 President Obama and the Obama administration. So the Department of the Interior, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Agriculture, and the secretaries of those departments. And they are accusing the federal government of violating their constitutional right to life, liberty, and property. They're also accusing the federal government of not preserving the public trust. We all need to share in our our common resources, and we have to make sure that we don't use them up today so that they're not available for future generations. We have to balance that out. Well, we don't think that the federal government has done that with respect to the atmosphere. Instead, we've destroyed the atmosphere. We've got over 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide. So we brought this lawsuit, or these young people brought this lawsuit, um, to uh, ask the federal government to prepare a science-based national climate recovery plan that will bring carbon dioxide from over 400 parts per million to below 350 parts per million by the year 2100. So we want the court to tell the government that it needs to do this. We know that scientifically, if we can achieve that, that we will stabilize our climate system. So that's the nature of the lawsuit. Let's meet one of the plaintiffs in this lawsuit. Her name is Victoria Barrett from White Plains, New York. Victoria claims she has become emotionally distressed by the increase in superstorms in the Northeast, including Hurricane Sandy, which impacted her and her family. Rising temperatures have also made her allergies worse, which limits her outdoor times. Let's listen to Victoria Barrett. My name is Victoria Barrett. I'm 17 years old. I live in New York, and I'm a youth climate activist who's been fighting on the front lines since about my freshman year. I'm a youth plaintiff on a climate lawsuit against the U.S. federal government because they're taking direct action to put my future at risk by allowing for the extensive use of fossil fuels and development of fossil fuels worldwide. It's the 21 youth plaintiffs versus the entire federal government. A huge conglomerate of the fossil fuel industry is also signed on as a co-defendant. Climate change is an issue that's facing our entire world, but the results of it are disproportionately going to impact people my age. And so that's why we as young people are deciding we're going to fight now and not wait until we're adults like society has told us we need to be to have power or decision-making. Our society at some point in the 20th century decided that we wanted to be dependent on fossil fuels. And at a time when we wanted to develop and grow, that made sense. But now we're at a point where that decision to use fossil fuels and depend on fossil fuels is putting us all at risk. Even though it's a lawsuit, you know, something you could win or lose, I feel like matter what happens, we've still created a precedent for other young people in this country and other young people around the world to realize that they can force power to listen to them. Our generation doesn't care who you are or where you're from. We just care if you have good ideas or if you have bad ideas or if you're for change or if you're not for change. I'm just a normal 17-year-old. I just saw something that I didn't like and saw something that I didn't understand and decided that I was going to give myself a platform no matter what negativity we hear about ourselves. That was Victoria Barrett, one of 21 young Americans suing the federal government about climate change. Uh, Lou Helmuth, the court 
case goes to trial maybe uh, later this year. President Obama tried to block it. President Trump tried to block it. So tell us the, the, you know, the state of the game. State of the game. <clears throat> uh, so we brought this lawsuit, and uh, the young people secured an, an amazing preliminary ruling just two days after the election of President Trump, where the court found for the first time in history that the United States Constitution guarantees... I have goosebumps all over my body right now. <laughs> the United States Constitution guarantees a constitutional right to a climate system capable of sustaining human life. That's what these 21 young people secured. The court also found that the federal government does have that public trust responsibility that I talked about a little earlier to manage our natural resources and the atmosphere to make sure that it's available both for present and future generations. And the court also found that the remedy that the kids are seeking, the court order that the federal government enact a science-based climate recovery plan on a national level, is a legitimate remedy for a constitutional violation of the constitutional right that was determined for the first time on November 10th, 2016. So right now where we are is the case is progressing to trial. We are scheduled, the last we heard from the court was that they, they want to have the trial in late 2017. And what that means is that we will bring evidence about what the government has done to perpetuate climate change and to cause climate change and to allow climate change to run away uncontrolled. And we will also demonstrate that these young people are harmed by the actions of the federal government and that this remedy can fix the problem of climate change. So the case is, you know, is, is hot and moving forward. Um, there's a lot that's happening. We, the young people, are engaged in what's called discovery, trying to learn about all the facts of what the government knew and didn't know and how the fossil fuel industry was involved in those decisions. Karina McWilliams, you are an indirect participant in this suit uh, through an Earth Guardians organization. What's it mean to you? What do you feel is at stake? Um, our, our futures. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, like he said, uh, the kids are suing the government over their right to life, liberty, and property, and that's exactly what is at stake. Like, it's not only um, my health and, you know, my generation, it's all generations after that. Like, this isn't just going to affect today's people. It's going to affect the health and safety of the entire world, really, you know, from now on. And how does that make you feel? And how do, about your peers at school? Do they also worry about this? Uh, how does it affect you day to day? Day to day? I would say that <laughs> a lot of the work I do um, for my climate activism club, it uh, takes a lot of my time and a lot of my um, energy um, because I would rather be doing that than anything else. Uh, I think it's like the most important thing in my life. I've kind of made this conscious decision to dedicate, you know, everything, um, every decision that I make uh, to mitigating climate change, because to me, it's the most important thing that I can do with my time and energy. We're hearing about and from young climate activists on the streets and in the courts. This is Climate One. You can subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org. Greg Dalton will continue his conversation in just a moment. We continue now with Climate One. We're talking about climate activism with James Coleman, a senior at South San Francisco High School. 
Karina McWilliams, a student at South Eugene High School in Eugene, Oregon, and Lou Helmet, Deputy Director of Our Children's Trust. Here's your host, Greg Dalton. James Coleman, you uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Alliance for Climate Education that you're part of does a fabulous presentation in high schools. I've seen it. Uh, so if you were to explain kind of the basics of climate science uh, to someone who, who didn't understand it, how would you explain that? I'd explain it as right now a lot of companies, uh, factories, governments are polluting the earth in a way where they are putting lots of carbon in the form of CO2 in the atmosphere. And that causes what we call a greenhouse effect, where the sun's rays come to Earth, bounce back up, and once it hits the CO2, it bounces back down. And that causes the Earth to act as an oven, warming the Earth more and more, and that causes climate change, where climate is different, more extreme, so you get more floods, more storms, um, hotter weather, and colder weather in places that usually don't have that. I've interviewed lots of scientists, and that's one of the clearest <laughs> explanations I've, I've heard. Uh, yeah. The Earth as an oven. Uh, there's also a time lag. Explain the time lag. So the effects of climate change that we are feeling today result from the emissions that were from the 1970s. And the emissions that we are emitting today will not be felt until 40 years down the road. And this places a sense of immediacy in this issue. Um, people look at climate change and say, oh, this will affect me 20 years from now. They don't feel the changes today. But it really makes it a lot more intimidating, a lot scary to deal with that is coming down the road. That time lag, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, off in the future. Uh, Lou Helmuth, the U.S. government realized starting in the 1950s that the greenhouse effect, burning fossil fuels, was going to cause problems. Tell us that story from the 50s today, the gradual realization of the greenhouse effect that James just explained. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not really a gradual realization. It was back in the 50s, our federal government knew that burning fossil fuels emitted carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And by 1965, um, during the President Johnson, Lyndon Johnson administration, there is, is White House reports and memoranda talking about the apocalyptic effects of continuing to burn fossil fuels and ex- extend the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, that was so evident to our government in the 60s and 70s that soon thereafter, Um, A number of members of Congress asked the Environmental Protection Agency to explore this growing crisis. And in 1990 and 1991, the Environmental Protection Agency produced a pretty comprehensive report, very clearly saying that we have to cap emissions at 350, 350 parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We can't go above that. This was 1990. We, we knew that. And, and they came up with you know, the, the framework of a plan for what we need to do to make sure that at that point, when we were still below 350 parts per million, we didn't exceed 350 parts per million. Well, I, I don't know what happened with that report, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence that anything happened with that report. It's not just me who doesn't know, that, doesn't know what happened with that report. Nothing happened with that report. And instead, we've had nothing but continued perpetuation and subsidy of the fossil fuel industry 
the permitting of fossil fuel infrastructure all around our country. The Dakota Access Pipeline is an example of that. Um, it's just more and more fossil fuels, despite the knowledge that we can't exceed a level that we're already beyond and that we're putting it on the backs of young people and future generations. And the fossil fuel industry has joined this case. Uh, you are not suing the fossil fuel industry. You're suing the federal government, but they have been allowed to be join the case as, a, I believe, interested parties. So tell us that aspect. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, right after the case was filed, the fossil fuel industry, through their trade associations, the American Petroleum Institute, the National Association of Manufacturers, and the American Petrochemicals Manufacturers Association, um, asked the court if they could participate to defend against this case because they said the young people's case is extraordinary and a direct threat to our business. You know, it, it's great in our, in our constitutional justice system if, if Karina and I have a lawsuit against each other, but one of you in the audience is directly impacted by that, and you can show that impact, the court, under certain limited circumstances, will allow you to participate in that case. And that's what the court did in this case. They said, your business will be directly impacted by this case. And so they are now what are called intervener defendants. And they've really been pretty lockstep with the federal government in terms of their strategies, um, including the most recent interlocutory appeal that's happening now. Um, the federal government requested that on March 7th. And the fossil fuel industry came in, I think it was March 10th, um, and said, we want to agree with that, and we would also like to see an interlocutory appeal. So that's the role of the fossil fuel industry trade associations in the young people's case. You're listening to Climate One. Since this conversation was recorded back in March, those fossil fuel trade associations changed their minds and asked to withdraw from the case. Here's Phil Gregory, one of the attorneys representing the 21 young people suing the federal government. We asked him what that withdrawal means. It's pure speculation as to why they wanted to get out of the case, but the timing points to the fact that they didn't want to take a position on climate change and whether or not both the state of our climate and the role they had as well as the role of the federal government in causing climate change. The trade associations, for example, the American Petroleum Institute, would have to take a position, as the federal government did, that the use of fossil fuels is a major source of CO2 emissions and is placing our nation on an increasingly costly, insecure, and environmentally dangerous path. They refuse to make that admission. Now, what that means as a practical matter is we all know the Trump administration is seriously in bed with the fossil fuel industry. So the fossil fuel industry has to feel confident that the Trump administration will be representing its interests, even though the fossil fuel industry won't have a seat at the table for purposes of trial. That was Phil Gregory, co-lead counsel for the plaintiffs in Juliana versus the United States. Now back to Greg Dalton and our young climate activists. James Coleman, you are very interested in, in politics. What do you think about that close alignment between the fossil fuel industry and the federal government and how that pertains to, say, elections and funding? I think it's very dangerous to have large corporations who can fund millions of dollars towards their favorable candidates. 
rather than have lobbying based solely on their constituents. Um, where you have a single person can probably maybe give $50 or $10 to uh, a politician that they like, fossil fuel companies can pull in millions of dollars. And what do you think about, more broadly, the health of American democracy, given the recent uh, election that we just went through? I think the Electoral College is really flawed in that um, with the election of Donald Trump by Electoral College, but with the popular vote won by Hillary Clinton. Similarly, in 2000, when Al Gore got the popular vote, but he still lost to Bush. Karina McWilliams, you are someone who goes to city council meetings regularly. Uh, Your thoughts on the health of American democracy, which underlines what we're talking about here in terms of federal action on climate change. I completely agree with James. I think uh, there's a long way, we're a long ways away from being um, an equal democracy where everyone has an equal say. I think there's also a huge problem with um, voting. I don't think, you know, marginalized groups don't um, have the same amount of, of say that, you know, uh, straight white men have, like, in the uh, democratic election. Um, uh, and I, I also think that people aren't using the democratic system uh, fully to its advantage. I think that, you know, there are so many ways that you can plug in and make your voice heard just by, like, you know, talking to your local politicians or sending an email or, you know, calling someone or, like, you know, even going to your city council uh, meetings. Yeah, I think there's a lot more that we could be doing that um, people weren't doing enough of prior to the election. So we've been talking about the courts. I'd like to talk about the streets a little bit. Uh, James Coleman, uh, there's been student protests. A lot of high school students walked out after the election, uh, ran across hundreds of them in the streets with their teachers and uh, even supervisors. Uh, were you allowed to do that in South San Francisco? I think you, had a, you kind of marched just around the school. They didn't want to let you out, right? Yeah, our uh, <laughs> school administrators did not allow us to walk out of school because it's technically <laughs> legal. But we were allowed to protest. Um, we had a little protest. We had signs uh, during lunch at the quad, and about maybe 100 to 200 people participated, and we walked around chanting. What do you think that accomplishes? I think that really told the administrators, as well as other students, um, the sentiment that we felt deep down and how we felt cheated that Donald Trump won the presidency. And Karina McWilliams, you work inside the political system, going to city council hearings, et cetera. What do you think about protests in the street? Is that just show? Does it accomplish anything? It accomplishes so much. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot you can do within the democratic system, but it, you can't say everything you want to. You know, you don't have, um, like, you're not going to go in and tell off your city councilors that, like, they're doing a bad job and just yell at them. I think um, marches especially show power in numbers, um, and I think that, Sometimes politicians don't listen to you if you go in and uh, testify at city council meetings or whatever just because you're one person. Um, but if, you, if you're backed up by like hundreds or thousands of people, then it really it, it shows that you've got a lot of force behind you and you're worth listening to. So I think both are really valid um, ways of expressing yourself and your opinions. Lou Helmuth. The courts in uh, social movements have played a, a key role. So paint the picture for how the, the co- what you hope the courts are doing here on climate is similar to what they've done in the past on other issues. Yeah, you know, if you look at um, American uh, social justice movements over time, um, it seems like there is often sort of a convergence of 
a, a political movement, you know, the kind of stuff that, that James and Karina are talking about, people in the streets demonstrating, making their collective voice known and understood on a subject, and then also a court coming in with some sort of macro-constitutional kind of affirmance um, or acceptance of that public sentiment that, that James was talking about even at the high school. Um, and so if you think like of the civil rights movement, when there were marches in the South that were broadcast to the North, it started bringing people from the North to the South, and there became this big street organizing, street movement, as, um, as Greg is, is referencing. And then it gave the courts the opportunity to issue a, a constitutional pronouncement in Brown versus Board of Education that said everyone is entitled to equal educational opportunity. So, you know, we, we, find, we, we saw this with gay marriage recently when, you know, there was a lot of back and forth, you know, is gay marriage legal, is it not legal, back and forth, and courts were doing different things. But ultimately, there became a, a you know, a, a public acceptance of the fact that gay marriage is fine. And then shortly thereafter, we had a constitutional pronouncement from the Supreme Court that it's a constitutional right. So the convergence of the public movement and the public will and the public sentiment, I love your word, James, um, and the court pronouncement of constitutional principles is what really often makes the big shift in social justice issues. Green and Vic Williams, you participated in a protest with an organization called 350. Where, uh, tell us about that. Where there's a, a, there's yeah, bags. yeah. So that was about the COP21 conference in Paris. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it was the People's Climate March, I think, uh, December about a year ago. And what we did was we had about four or five hundred people um, dress all in uh, yellow, um, and they came to the march, and then they formed this shape of an oil drop and they covered their heads with um, black plastic bags. And then they had this drone flying above and filming the entire thing, and then they took off the black plastic bag um, to reveal their yellow, and then they moved to form the shape of the sun. So it was this huge artistic thing of um, off, off oil and on to renewable, and it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to go to our lightning round. We'll ask a series of quick uh, yes or no questions of our guests at Climate One, James Coleman, Lou Helmuth, and Karina McWilliams. First for James Coleman, yes or no, would you date a really cute climate denier? If she was open to changing her mind, yes. <laughs> Good answer. Um, Karina McWilliams, whatever, I don't know if you're dating. When you do, Karina McWilliams, would you date someone whose mom or dad works for a fossil fuel company? Um, I, I don't know. I have a lot of friends who rebel against their parents all the time. So if, if that person uh, chose not to work for a fossil fuel company, I'd probably date them. <laughs> <laughs> Lou Helmuth, yes or no, you have a climate denier in your family. Yes. Karina McWilliams, uh, yes or no, you've talked to a climate denier or skeptic recently. Yes. We'll come back later to how, how to do that. James Coleman, do you think people who work for oil and coal companies are intentionally trying to hurt you and the planet? No. 
Lou Helmuth, many people who think they are healing the climate are really just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Somewhat. Also for Lou Helmuth, you can have empathy for a person who spent their entire career working in a fossil fuel company to earn a living and provide energy to run the economy. Yes. James Coleman, uh, if the suit about students suing the federal government is made into a movie, what actor do you think should be in it? Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've heard about a movie that may be in the works with him. Uh, uh, Karina McWilliams, last question. What actor or actress do you think should be in the movie about young people going to court to protect their constitutional right to a healthy climate? Tina Fey. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. That ends our lightning round. Let's give a round for them getting through that. (laughs) You're listening to a Climate One conversation about youth in the streets and in the courts fighting for their climate future. You can check out our podcast at our website, climateone.org. Greg Dalton will be back with his guests in just a moment. You're listening to Climate One. Greg Dalton is talking to young people fighting for climate justice. James Coleman, a senior at South San Francisco High School. Karina McWilliams, a student at South Eugene High School in Eugene, Oregon. And Lou Helmuth, Deputy Director of Our Children's Trust. Here's Greg. James Coleman, what do you do around the house to walk the walk in your personal life to reduce your both your... Water consumption important here in the West, as well as your carbon footprint. What do you do? Um, At ACE, we learned that often our diet does impact the climate. um, And where when we eat meat, that meat is grown on farms, and those farm animals do produce um, methane and carbon dioxide that gets released in the air. And so at home, um, I'm not ready to be vegan yet, but I am trying to reduce my carbon footprint in what I eat. You also got your mom to buy a Prius, right? Right. Uh, Karina McWilliams, what do you do in your life to uh, reduce your impact? Reduce my impact? I'll bike and walk to school when I can. Um, <laughs> I'll take shorter showers. Yeah. You mean like, every, like everyday things? Yeah. What, what can an average person do? This climate thing seems so big and it requires big governments. Like what can people, it always seems like individual action. What can you do that matters? What can you do that matters? Just go to a march or, like, call, you know, <laughs> call your legislator. Um, Don't take a shower. Go to a march. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, Got it. Yeah. And just plug into whatever's going on in your school or community because, really, yeah, people are just looking for support and people to ally with. Lou Helmuth, what do you do in your personal life to walk the walk? Um, I really think about everything that I do through this lens. Um, I don't always make the best choice about that. I still fly more than I would like to, but I have definitely cut that back. I am always thinking when I'm about to step out the house, out of the house, you know, am I going to get in the car? Am I going to take the bus? You know, so I'm when I'm purchasing things in, in a store, I'm looking at where are they made, out of what materials are they made. Do I really need this, right? So the, I think the one thing that I'm doing that I think everybody can do is just be aware that almost every choice that you make has some impact on our climate system. And so just to be aware, if you do that, then every day you can make little adjustments and evaluate your overall carbon footprint 
so that you can make big reductions over time. Some things, there's not a lot of choices for, you know, a lot of people don't have a choice what they put in their car. Petroleum has a monopoly. We have a lot of choices what we put in our stomachs, and James hit on meat, and that is a big lever. Uh, let's meet another youth group uh, called Heirs to Our Oceans. They're making a movie and trying to make their entire project go viral in the process. We recently caught up with them as they were making a presentation at an environmental youth forum in San Francisco. Here are the Heirs to Our Oceans. I'm Neve, and I'm an heir to our oceans. I'm Seth Weinfield, and I'm from Heirs to Our Oceans. We're a group of homeschoolers ages 9 to 17, and we are making a movie and a movement to show the world that we don't have to wait till we're an adult to start like changing our path for our lifetimes for positive change. Each one of us founding heirs has a focus area that we go into the science about it and teach people about it. Hi, I'm Charlie and I'm 12 years old. My focus area is coral. My focus area is seabirds. And I learned that climate change and ocean acidification are like the two that really like touch like everyone's focus area. As waters warm, there's more and more algae blooms. And that is creating a shadow overhead of these corals. We go to schools. We do beach cleanups. We go to activist outings. I and some of my other team members went to Palau in December of 2016. And there we formed a Palauan chapter. We also have beta chapters starting in Hawaii, Northern California, Southern California, Oregon, and even Derby, Kansas. We're hoping that every school has an Ayers chapter because we've seen from school kids how excited they are about protecting and saving our oceans. I've never agreed with SeaWorld because they starve their animals, they they hit them, they whip them. Adults need to understand that you want a healthy, clean planet for your children, even if you don't care about the ocean. Adults may still keep with a closed mind, but if we teach the kids, then this next generation will be aware, and they can teach their kids, and then we can get this crisis solved. I know that this generation can make a difference. We're not going to fail. We can't. I get choked up watching that. Uh, Those are middle schoolers. Karina McWilliams, what do you think of when you see kids like that? I'm so inspired. Yeah, um, everywhere I go, <laughs> these guys are here. I was at Power Shift <laughs> a few weeks ago. They were in Eugene, where I live. Yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> James Coleman, uh, there's inspiration. Um, we've had other people here from our Children's Trust and others who say that what's happening with climate makes them think about whether they will be a parent. Do you ever think about whether climate will affect your decision to be a parent? Um, I think it will. Um, like, if I'm going to bring a child into this planet, will it be a healthy planet? Will they have the rights to clean water? Can they experience clean air? Can they go outside on the beach without being afraid of oil? These are things that we should think about, and I do not want to bring a child into a planet that is dying. Karina? I kind of agree with James. Like, you know, if if my child isn't going to have clean air to breathe, then, you know, is it, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be like doing that person a favor? Um, I think that's kind of the mindset that everyone should be getting into. That it, It's your children that are going to be having to deal with the effects of climate change, um, not just like, you know, people 
500 years from now, it's happening today and tomorrow, and then like, you know, in 10 years, um, it's just getting worse and worse. And I think it's a really real question. Like, you know, you are going to have to deal with these effects. Not abstract or far. It's not just polar bears and Pacific <laughs> Islands. Uh, we're talking about climate change and climate one. That's Karina McWilliams, a high school student in Eugene, Oregon. We also have San Francisco high school student James Coleman and Lou Helmuth from Our Children's Trust. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, James Coleman, what's one of your proudest moments of environmental activism? I'd say speaking out at the Stand Up for Science rally at the AGO conference. American Geophysical Union, huge conference of tens of thousands of scientists at Moscone Center in San Francisco, and you stood up in front of them. Pretty brave moment. Yeah, that was my uh, first real moment of public speaking. I was extremely nervous, heart beating on my chest, but I got through it, and I see it as a real milestone in my life. Um, I'm an aspiring scientist, and as scientists, we see that they stick to their labs, they stick to their science. They're not really out in the political world. But right now we're seeing that politics and science are merging together and that scientists have to be a voice in our society. They have to get out. They have to tell us what the facts are and how we should use our policy to fight climate change. Karina McWilliams, one of your proudest moments. Um, I don't know if I could pinpoint one proud moment, but I know one moment that stands out to me is when I was with um, 350 Eugene and some um, employees from our children's trust at this pizza place before uh, a city council meeting one night, I think, or maybe it was in March. But um, one woman asked me, uh, where do you find this braveness to do what you're doing and like speak in front of everyone and put yourself out there? And I think I replied with, um, it's like my responsibility. And I think that was the moment that I really realized that like I'm not doing this because, you know, I I like you know, being loud or talking a lot or, like, you know, just participating in marches. I'm doing it because, like, I need to because I don't have a choice. Um, And I think more than just being proud, that was just a defining moment of um, my entire career in in climate activism. Let's give it up for these guys doing something really hard. not here because because it's easy how do you uh, karina mcwilliams you talked earlier about talking to a skeptic or denier how do you do that in a way that they'll hear you um you you kind of just got a reason like reason with them um i know that sounds like a little difficult but if you're talking to someone who lives in rural oregon like um you know they're experiencing climate change like they're experiencing drought so you know you've got to kind of get down to like (laughs) their level and just say um so you're experiencing drought, right? Like, it's, it's drier than it has been in years, and it's not, like, getting better. So those are the direct effects of climate change, and you are experiencing them. It is a thing. Um, you and just got to relate to them. Lou Helmuth, you have a denier in your family. How do you talk to that family member? Well, um, I have several, um, and some I speak with and about this subject, and some I don't. Um, <laughs> You know, you got to choose your battles a little bit. Um, But when I'm talking with some, you know, there is a hopeful side to this in in my mind. And that is that we do have the, the, the technical and economic and scientific abilities to fix this crisis. Um, And so there's there's hope that we can achieve and it, it can spur technological innovation 
It will drive economic prosperity. Um, It will fix a lot of the crises that a lot of people are facing, some climate deniers are facing. You know, their economic issues can be addressed, the consequences that they're facing relative to the, the experiences of climate change that they're facing when they lose their homes and stuff. If we can come from a hopeful place and fix this problem, I think it can bring people into a place where they can hear about the crisis in a little bit of a different way. So uh, I haven't converted anyone yet, but that's my approach. No one ever died from a solar spill. Um, (laughs) We're going to go to our audience question. Welcome to Climate One. Thank you. Uh, My name is Chris Rodriguez, and I'm here on behalf of the Green Academy at Abraham Lincoln High School. Uh, Mr. Coleman, you mentioned that uh, what we do now as far as our contribution to uh, CO2 emissions and stuff in that regards, uh, you said that we won't feel those effects till like about 40 years from now. Uh, I wanted to know uh, what's uh, in place or is there anything in place to stop that? And to so James Coleman, the, the lag and the carbon we put up and the impacts it causes. Um, right now, we are very threatened on this issue. There's the only agreement that I'd say is in place to stop it would be the Paris Agreement. But even if we have that agreement by every single country, it's still not enough. And with the other cops uh, coming up throughout the years, we need to fight for stronger pushes from every single country, not just the U.S., but everywhere. And lots of solar is growing, wind is growing, lots of good things happening. Let's go to our next question. Welcome to Climate One. Hi, um, I'm a senior in high school. Uh, Mr. Helmuth, I was wondering, uh, you organized 20 plaintiffs from around the country. How necessarily did you do that, and how would you suggest, mm, sorry, how would you suggest that youths organize in order to take on the federal government uh, when they don't necessarily have the resources or the know-how to get, that, uh, get to that stage? Well, one great way for young people to become a part of this lawsuit is to join Earth Guardians, which is a nonprofit organization who is one of the plaintiffs. So there are 21 young people who are plaintiffs. Earth Guardians, the organization, is a plaintiff. And also Dr. James Hansen is a a plaintiff as guardian for all future generations. So... If you join Earth Guardians, and they've got what they call our crews all around the globe of young people taking on local action in their communities, they support you, they, you know, they help you to, to, to advance those actions, you actually become you know, a, a, a quasi-member of the lawsuit and also can undertake you know, local action in your community that you can band together with other young people to take on. And Karina is, is part of that group. Let's welcome to Climate One. Hi, my name is uh, Kevin Huo. Um, I'm part of Students on Ice. Um, you know, there are many youth in the room today, and, you know, we have wonderful leaders on stage today. Um, you know, could you talk about one life-defining moment um, that, you know, you wake up to every day and say, that's the reason why I want to, you know, help save this planet? Who'd like to tackle that one? I would say, um, for me, I wouldn't say there's, like, one life-defining moment. I, I know I mentioned that... Uh, that um, thing at the pizza shop before. But I think what drives me is kind of making the relation between um, getting involved in the climate activism movement for both the, you know, preserving the beauty and, you know, just the awesomeness of nature and, you know, the environment in which I live in, which I've grown up in. Like, you know, I've 
I, I love like Oregon's old growth forests, um, and I don't want to see those go away. But then also recognizing that climate change isn't just like affecting nature and like animals; um, it's also affecting like the well-being of the entire world. And like you know, you can't you can't have a functional society without like a stable climate or a stable atmosphere or you know, clean water or clean air. Like it. it just yeah so for me recognizing that it's like a global problem and an intersectional problem next question welcome to climate one hi i'm lomax turner from terrellino high school in centerfall california um this is a question for everyone what what is your do you think the obama administration did enough uh to acknowledge the climate change crisis and what is your current reaction to uh, the trump administration's um yeah reaction to the climate change crisis James Coleman, you're a political science, a budding political scientist. I think the Obama, the Obama administration is obviously better than the Republicans and what they're doing, but I don't think they did nearly enough. They, Obama could have spoke out against the Dakota Access Pipeline months before he did, and he could have tried to ban fracking, tried to speak out more against the issues, and... There's always more that can be done with him. But nonetheless, he was good, and I am satisfied with what he did. And your second part of the question Trump. was... Trump. <laughs> Trump, um, I think he poses as an awakening to our country. We are seeing what happens when we have the other side of the political spectrum take power, where we are going in reverse instead of progressively. And I think that at least in my school, it really awakened um, a lot of the students to become more active in our community, more politically active in either attending protests or just speaking out against what's been happening. Karina McWilliams? Um, I agree with James. I think that, I I personally think that Obama didn't do nearly enough in his um, uh, presidency to combat climate change. You know, he kind of just did that campaign in his last six months of office uh, where he went around Alaska and like, uh, just kind of really drew attention to climate change. It was kind of just too little too late. Um, but now after the Trump presidency, I think that, you know, on one hand, you know, just the shock of the election was exactly what the United States needed, and especially the youth needed to really get off their feet and realize that something was wrong and something needed to happen quickly. And, and I think it really lit a fire under a lot of people. Let's go to our next question. Welcome. I'm Natalie Rodriguez from Marin School of Environmental Leadership. I was wondering for James and Karina what advice you would give to like upcoming activists to get involved in this like situation. James? I'd say be the change that you want to see in your community. And whenever an opportunity comes, take it. Karina? Uh, that's great advice. I also think, you know, use what you're good at. Like, if you're good at art or if you're good at music or if you're good at, you know, writing, then use that to your advantage and to your community's advantage. We have to wrap up quickly. Uh, James Coleman, what gives you hope? Um, an overall vision that four years from now we will have a planet that's healthy for our children to live in. Karina McWilliams? Um, everyone else involved in the climate movement who uh, encourages each other and me. Lou Helmuth, inspired young people. Greg Dalton has been talking about youth in the streets and in the courts with James Coleman, a senior at South San Francisco High School and an action fellow with Alliance for Climate Education. 
Karina McWilliams, a student at South Eugene High School and an active member of Earth Guardians and other environmental organizations in Eugene, Oregon, and Lou Helmuth, Deputy Director of Our Children's Trust. To hear all our Climate One conversations, subscribe to our podcast at our website, climateone.org, where you'll also find photos, video clips, and more. Please join us next time for another Climate One discussion about America's energy, economy, and environment. Climate One is a special project of the Commonwealth Club of California. Jane Ann Chen is the producer. Kelly Pennington directs our audience engagement. Carlos Manuel is our booker and associate producer. The audio engineer is William Bloom. Annie Chelsea and Devin Strolovich are the editors. I'm Greg Dalton, the executive producer and host. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Climate One is presented in association with KQED Public Radio.